At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. We interrupt your alpine skiing viewing or curling viewing or hockey viewing or whatever kind of like giant slalom you're you're watching. We interrupt that uh, for an episode of the Just Baseball Show. We're kicking off another week. Today is Monday, February 7th. Jack McMullen, Arm Layton, what's your sport of choice through the first weekend of the Winter Olympics? Dude, I'm not a big Olympics guy. Like, I'll be honest. Oh. So what sticks out for me is really just anything I, I don't flip through immediately i've st- i'll always keep snowboarding on for a little bit but one of the biggest life changes for me this is the first time i kept curling on for more than five minutes dude yeah it was the first like i know people troll and like act like curling's cool because it's funny i i actually enjoyed it for a little bit um until they started i realized they call the little things that they toss rocks mm-hmm. and it lost me a little bit after that but other than that i was that's probably my, my sport of choice aside from snowboarding yeah, I like curling because those people do not look like Olympians and you can almost picture yourself in their Correct. shoes. Correct. Well, that's the thing. That's what I was thinking of. What do they necessarily excel at? I'm not belittling them. I mean, they worked hard to get there, but what is their skill that the common person doesn't have? Uh, curling. Like what, what do they have? That's that their skill. Gives? To be good at curling, what are you good at? Uh, brushing at- things, uh, sweeping. Yeah. Sweeping, okay, sweeping, so, and so and pushing. It's really about making the commitment to like I want to do this. Yeah, that makes them an Olympian. So there's like an opt-in basically. There's an opt-in for the Olympics, and we're just not opting in. Yeah, so like that's how I feel about things like synchronized swimming. It's like if you really wanted, if you decided at age six that you were going to be an Olympic synchronized swimmer, I think you could do it. See, I'm gonna take. I might take it too far here. I feel the same way about Division One college kicker. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Like, don't get me wrong. If you can't move, like, if you're someone that's just was born with just, you know, you're not coordinated, like, that's fine. There's some people like that. Most people have at least can learn basic coordination. Like, if you kick from, I've thought about this w- with my kid. If I have a son and he's just not great at sports, I'm like, if you want to play a sport, let's just kick. And if you grind it out, like, if you're banging forty yarders in high school. You're making the varsity team. You can get that up to 50. Decent student. You're going D1. Easy. Easy. I mean, if you have any sort of intestinal fortitude, you can kick at Bama and you can be heralded. Like you can be the hero at Bama. It's all mental. It's all mental. mental. I mean, you look at Will Reichard. Like he's the first good kicker Bama has had in like 20 years. You remember the kid Griffith? (laughs) 
who who left yeah. the uh, in the Iron Bowl. He left the kick short that Chris Davis Poor took guy. back. Like that guy was a terrible kicker, and he was at Poor Bama. Guy. Well, the thing is, too, is like you don't want to be the guy that makes the team is otherwise fantastic. You don't want to be the guy that makes the team bad. Like you don't want to be the reason why the fantastic team doesn't win. Same thing as a closer. Imagine you're the the closer for the best team in baseball. Like that's stressful because they're always in a position to win. Like you're the person that has to just turn the lights off and close the door and lock it. And if you mess it up, it's all your fault. And the team is really good. And you're the, you're the weakest link. That's a tough, that's a tough gig. That's why I think closer kicker, two of the most mentally difficult gigs in sports. How about hockey goalie? It's also fast. Yeah. It's also fast. It's hard, like physically impossible. Mentally, I think you're, you're kind of reacting. You're in the reaction zone. Yeah. Hardest position to play in baseball mentally. Is it pitcher? I mean, closer. Closer. I think pitcher and closer. Pitcher mm-hmm. because you're out there by yourself. Closer because it's the most pivotal point of a game and you're out there by yourself. And if you blow it, it's all you. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you know what was really hard um, is the last couple of nights I've been watching skiing. I mean, skiing and snowboarding. Um, I was just watching slaloms for a little bit. And then I was just watching uh, giant slalom, which is the one that Michaela Schifrin ate shit on last night. I mean, like just a couple of a uh, couple of these. I don't know what they're called, like checkpoints. You know what I'm talking about? The, the gates, a couple of gates into the run. Um, she, I mean, wipe out like eight shit, you know, greatest U.S. skier of all time. Sorry, Lindsey Vaughn, but like she's just out of her first Olympic event. How tough is that? Like that's four years, so much mental emotional physical hardship to go through and then all of a sudden like four gates in you're just out of this one event and that's why i just it's it's hard for me to get into it it's hard for me to get into the olympics like, that's the thing about baseball too again you have like every single day and as long as you don't have a lockout the season comes right back around like i same with the world cup like soccer I know you have all the other tournaments, but they're not nearly as important. You have a bitter loss in the World Cup. You just got to sit with that for four years. That's what it feels like when you strike out. You got to sit with that all the way back around until the lineup comes around. feels like four years. It's not actually four years. Yeah. No, but it's actually four years for them. Um, You mentioned lockout. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to do a a lockout update, which we hate doing because we would love to be talking about the X's and O's of baseball. But instead, we got to tell you what a federal mediator does. Uh, and that sucks. Yeah. And why a federal mediator would even be, uh, I guess, something of appeal uh, or at least be posed as something of appeal, which it isn't. Um, and basically why it was just a gigantic smoke screen and just what I like to call eyewash uh, yeah. just by the owners. Again, this is, there's a lot of, negotiation and PR tactics. Like you can tell which side has a lot of money and energy invested into PR and which side has a lot more energy focused into just getting a deal done. Um, I think that's pretty clear. Yeah, it's really clear. um, And it's also pretty obvious that the side with the more money uh, was the one that wanted a federal mediator in play. Um, and the gist, like, you know, before we bring it back to the lockout here, because our, our lockout update is Major League Baseball, the ownership group wanted to bring uh, a federal mediator to the table instead of presenting a counteroffer. The Players Association was expecting a counteroffer. 
when they didn't get one back and they were asked for a mediator, the other party needs to agree. The Players Association said no, and their statement read like this. Two months after implementing their lockout and just two days after committing to players that a counterproposal would be made, the owners refused to make a counter and instead requested mediation. After consultation with our executive board and taking into account a variety of factors, we have declined this request. The clearest path to a fair and timely agreement is to get back to the table. Players stand ready to negotiate. So let's give you the gist of what federal mediation does before we get into the baseball side of things. And federal mediation was used in 1981 and 1984. One time it worked. That was the first time. Second time, it didn't work. That was in 1994, and the lockout continued. The two sides eventually came to an agreement without federal mediation. A federal mediator is literally what it sounds like, a mediator. You've had a mediator. It is somebody, if you're having an argument with someone, it's a non-biased third party that just comes in and with a cool head says, here's where you're wrong, here's where you're right, here's where the other side is wrong, here's where the other side is right here's what you can do. It is literally just a bridge to help communicate between two sides that are pissed off. So the owners wanted that. They wanted this conversation with a third party present. The players said, we don't need that. We want to get a deal done. If you actually want to get a deal done, like your statements are reading, then you don't need it either. And I guess the owners are just being put to the test right now. Yeah, because I, this was one of those where it's funny that the angle from which they had said, okay, the owners, that is, we want a federal mediator because we want to speed this process up, right? You know, we, we want to get this thing going because the season's coming up. Well, uh, you took weeks to initially meet. And then also two days after you said you were going to give the counter proposal, you then said there is no counter proposal. We want a federal mediator, which is just weird because at that point, if they had had a meeting again and then didn't bring the counter proposal, I would understand it. But it was like they had already parted. They're like, we'll give you a counter proposal in two days. Went back to themselves and decided, you know what? This is too difficult. Like, what, what happened in that time? What happened is they, you know, hatched up a plan that was like, hey, we can keep delaying this process. The closer we get to the season, the more leverage we have because the players don't want to lose a game. What was it all about in 2020, Jack? What were they fighting over the whole time? Players wanted more games. Owners wanted less games. And you know, I, I think we're seeing the same thing here where I don't think the owners care if, if, if the season starts late. I don't think they really care because they stand to gain more from what the, for what they're negotiating for financially. And they're going to use that as leverage. And that's exactly what they're doing is they're delaying the hell out of this and hiding behind the federal mediator idea, which, you know, they think masks what they're actually doing, but everybody can see it clear as day. Yeah. I mean, think of like, if you're playing a game like mortal Kombat or street fighter and you've got the health bar up top, that's like, you know, green and full when you're at full health. And each time a punch lands on you, your health bar declines and you get yellow, then red and then boom, end of game, you die. Um, the owners can take more hits than the players can. Because while the players are multi-millionaires, all these owners are multi-billionaires. So they can, they can sleep fine at night if they miss 40 games this year. And the reality is, the TV deals, they make up for that. Like, who gives a shit about the 10,000 hot dogs you're going to sell that night? Or the, you know, 
15,000 tickets you're going to sell if you're a middle of the pack team. Like the Trop, 5,000 people in there on opening day. Who gives a shit? You know what I mean? No, like they'll, they'll pack it for opening day. Come on. They'll, they'll okay. So game two, uh, game the 5,000 people that go. Yeah, it's tough. So like the owners don't care about that. The players want to be playing. And, you know, there's going to be a serious hit here if you have to prorate salaries again. You look at it like, you know, when we look at home runs, when we look at the home run totals during the 2020 season, 11 was the equivalent to 30 during a full season. So if a guy hit 11 home runs in a 60-game season, that was good. They were paid like that. So a $30 million guy got $11 million. That's $19 million that they missed out on. It was a prorated salary. If you lose games, you're going to lose game checks. So the players have a lot much, um, they have they have much more, I guess, dings to the health available than the owners do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, that's the big issue, right? And I mean, that's really why we are where we are. You point out the federal mediation thing too. I mean, it worked 41 years ago when baseball's problems were, I would say much more simple and it didn't even work, you know, almost 30 years ago. Yeah. When, when was Kurt flood late seventies? I guess <laughs> that that's the craziest thing to me is I feel like MLB's owners know that a federal mediator isn't really going to work. And the thing that really stands out to me is, is just the way the league is countered. I mean, you, you had the owners countering for less than, of the number that the players threw out there. And I'll be at $105 million for that bonus pool for pre-arb players. And, and that whole presentation was, I believe it was top 20 players in war that are pre-arb, uh, you know, would split this $105 million bonus pool. 105 is a little bit high, probably, but countering a 10 is literally just saying, you know, we don't give a shit. It, it's a middle finger. Else. Correct. But, you know, the MLBPA gave the middle finger right back. And I think that's why we got to the mediator point. So I, I can understand the owners thinking this could work. I think it's not 100 uh, percent, you know, some of the reasons why we said I think there was some of it where they're like, OK, these players are getting really pissed and we might not get anywhere if they're going to just be so angry. Because I think we're seeing the justified anger and frustration from players, but players countered back at 100 million. So they lowered their asking price by five million which again is them giving the middle finger right back and saying, all right, we won't budge either. Well, that's where you get a standoff and that's where everybody loses here. I, realistically, I actually think the bonus pool should be around 60, 70 million. If which really is normal. It, it, it is a yeah. normal like bargain. Let's come to a conclusion here. Let's meet in yeah. the middle. And neither side wants to do that. That no. stubbornness. Yes, that's that's the players, you know, you know, coming back and being a bit petty. But what I will say is the players were the only ones to drop something so far, which was that extra year of control, you know, prior to hitting free agency that decided to let that one go. Um, and we haven't really seen MLB change at all on many stances other than bumping up minimum salary in the league which they still didn't do as much as they should and that's a drop in the bucket of all drops in the bucket uh so you know i we look at it now the players have still given more um and and they've been more willing to bend and i think the owners have really smelled the blood in the water and they're taking advantage of that and that's where things can start to get bad and that's where you start to see bad faith negotiations being thrown around as a term to describe this yeah pretty layered a uh, statement put out by Max Scherzer on Twitter yeah. on Friday afternoon. Um, 
his first tweet said, we don't need mediation because we are offering what we are offering to major league baseball is fair for both sides. Max Scherzer is one of the head honchos with the players association, the player rep, like the player head of the players association, Andrew Miller. How about that? Um, But Scherzer, we don't need mediation because what we are offering to major league baseball is fair for both sides. He listed four or five different things. He said, quote, we want a system where threshold and penalties don't function as caps, allows younger players to realize more of their market value, makes service time manipulation a thing of the past, and eliminates tanking as a winning strategy. So they are pro draft lottery. Sounds like that's going to happen. They are pro no hard cap. They want teams to be able to pay a a luxury tax penalty like the Dodgers. And, you know, if they want to spend $600 million on the payroll, they can. They just got to pay the luxury tax penalties. They wanted a higher luxury tax. Owners obviously wanted a lower one because they want to spend less money. Um, The two middle statements, the the two middle aspects of this statement is where the hangup is. Allows younger players to realize more of their market value and make service time manipulation a thing of the past. The players are asking for respect for the players that are more powerless than the others that are veterans, like 37-year-old Max Scherzer, and the owners don't want to do that. I mean, that's that's the beauty of control, right? That's the beauty of having six years when a guy comes up. You're asking you're asking the owners to give up the thing that you probably makes baseball uh, owning you know owning a baseball team the most. I would say easier things in terms of being able to turn a profit, right? Like you could put together a semi-competitive team full of pre-arb guys. If you draft right and you put things together, right. I mean, like that's what it's all about. I I do understand it from a certain standpoint. It's like, if you're a team like the Rays and now you're cutting back a year of control across the league, that's a year of leverage and negotiations and things like that, that the Rays lose. For example, you know, when you trade a Blake Snell, if Blake Snell had one year less of control, they're not quite getting the same return prospect wise. And I mean, that's what the race do. Right. So there is this really, you use the word layered to talk about Max Scherzer's statement. I think the issue in itself is super layered. Of course, I want to get rid of service time manipulation. Of course, I want to, you know, get these players paid quicker, but you also have to think a little bit about like what the trickle down effect is to the entire league. Um, I'm not necessarily saying it's negative, but there, there definitely is enough there where you have to think about it and say, okay, what would the fallout be here uh, in terms of parity across the league? I think at the end of the day, it's, it's a risk reward and the pros outweigh the cons, which is, you know, players making money when they should, and still you're able to wheel and deal enough mm-hmm. as an organization. But I do think that there's a little bit of a balance there and it's, it's a layered nuanced uh, issue. You think they're going to need help in their negotiations? I, I... Them saying no to a federal mediator right now does not mean that mediation will not be used in this. You know, if we find ourselves at the end of February and nobody has made any traction, chances are we're going to see a third party included here uh, because it's been included in the last two work stoppages in Major League Baseball. You think they're going to need help or you think they're going to come to a conclusion this month? You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they end up resorting to, to help, I just think this was kind of the owner saying, look, we're, we're willing to throw anything out there. Like we're, we're not going to just, you know, cave in like you're hoping uh, because I think players are trying to stand their ground for the first time really in a very long time. 
uh, usually they'll cave and we get going and the players aren't happy. And that's why we are where we are uh, as a league. I think we could see it end up getting there, but I'm not sure that really helps. At the end of the day, you need both sides negotiating in good faith. The players, unfortunately, might have to give a little bit more and the owners have to be somewhat realistic at the end of the day. Uh, and Tony Clark, <laughs> I haven't heard anything from Tony Clark. I've heard more from Trevor May and Max Scherzer. Yeah. Um, uh, Tony Clark, if you're out there, you know, would love to know what's up. And Yeah, you know, blink twice. Doing. Just do yeah, anything. Just, just do something. Uh, because I do think that there's a level of, you talk about mediation, that might be part of it, honestly. Is, is Tony Clark doing his job well enough? I think that's a fair question to ask is, is Tony Clark doing his job well enough? And is that part of the reason why we might need a federal mediator? Because I, I don't know, Tony Clark through 2020 and into this year uh, on the players association side, I think there's been more than enough instances where they could have done better as well. Yeah. Um, and I don't want anybody to, to view a certain side as angelic. Like I think a lot of the people that are going to listen to this podcast are pro players and we are pro mm -hmm. players here. We are pro players association I actually haven't met anybody yet that is pro ownership right now. I don't think uh, those people- Just go on Twitter, bro. Just, just go on Twitter. Oh, uh, Well, here's the thing. Everybody that's pro owners has like the gray avatar of the face and they have like 10 digits in their username. It's like yeah. user, whatever the hell. Um, yeah. So I, I just want to clarify that like, while the players are in the right, they can still be a little bit more mature here. This feels yeah. like the state of the union where I belong to a political party. The overwhelming majority of America belongs to a, a certain political party. Um, and that political party is not going to stand up and clap when the other political party says something to benefit their political party. That's it like, is like, it's like an objectively good thing across the board. Yeah, no, I mean, like, there's no such thing. If you said like end cancer, like yeah. if the Republicans said that the Democrats are not getting up. They're sitting down and vice versa, which was hilarious. I mean, that was the craziest thing with the state of the unions. They were saying like, you know, yeah, cancer is ended. You could say literally something like that. And they're not sitting up. They're not sitting up and clapping. Like that's where you realize that's where you get so far down the rabbit hole where you forget what you're even there for and yeah. what you're really doing, like what you're supposed to be doing. I don't think baseball is there yet, but with the anger and frustration we're seeing, you know, I think the more anger we see, the more of a risk we have to getting down that hole where neither side, it becomes less about the game and more about winning a standoff. And uh, I think when, when I'm reading headlines that are like said Trevor May on his Twitch stream, I'm just like, you know, I, I, I agreed with everything Trevor May said, but you know, we're, we're airing things out on a Twitch stream now. Like I, I don't necessarily hate what Scherzer did. I actually like Scherzer being transparent and issuing yeah. a thought out statement there. But when we're like venting on a Twitch stream, I'm just saying from an owner's perspective, they hate that shit. Right. So like, I don't think the owners had an, like a personal issue. I would assume with Scherzer's statement, I'm sure they disagreed with it and weren't thrilled about it, yeah, but, but I think civil. they respected, they understood that that's negotiations, that's business. That is what it is. I would bet that Trevor May's ranting on, on a Twitch stream playing video games, which I think is sick. Like I love them being transparent on there and talking about anything else, but talking about negotiations and things like this um, and really bashing the owners while I think a lot of it was merited. I don't think that's how you're going to get to where you need to go. I don't think that's going to get you to the destination. 
No, yet you got to be a consummate pro when you are in labor negotiations like this with a multi-billion dollar industry like Major League Baseball is, you have to be civil. You have to be Max Scherzer civil. Um, and you have to win by taking the high road. And bitching about ownership on a Twitch stream is not taking the high road. Um, it is literally like, say you and I really didn't like each other. Um, and we wanted to argue, you know, you were trying to tell me that Bobby Witt is the best prospect in baseball. And I wanted to tell you that Adley Rutschman is the best prospect in baseball. You are pretty convinced that Bobby Witt is a better prospect than Adley Rutschman, but you also hate me in this exercise. So if yeah. you hate me and you're sitting across from me and I am trying to convince you that your opinion is wrong, you're going to say, oh my God, screw you. You couldn't be more wrong. And you are not going to try and hear my side. You are literally just going to sit there, wait till I'm done talking. Like I'm the one of the adults from Charlie Brown, where all you hear is wah, 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 wah. And then as soon as you don't hear that, you're going to come at me with all of your Bobby Witt evidence. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. And that's so, what's going on. And, well, and I think that's what the $100 million counter uh, kind of, kind of, you know, exemplified there. And I'm all, I'm also very excited to, to get a much more, detailed and in-depth breakdown on on these labor negotiations ron cox professor cox one of yeah. our, our one of our only cba guy <laughs> our only lockout guy no, we have one are. we have a cba yeah. guy we have a cba guy professor cox at florida international university and it, just an absolute uh beast in terms of just really being able to break things down um and you know it's really detailed and difficult stuff to get into and the way he delivers it's really understandable thorough uh while not getting too dense and it's a tough it's a tough juggle ron does a great job and we have that article up you know right now uh where ron really explains why the federal mediator was in his words a pr stunt uh so i, I thought it was a really cool piece there and you know what's ironic man i don't even know how many months ago this was but this was this was several months ago ron cox put out a CBA article for us that said that the MLB owners are not negotiating in good faith. This was before people were really saying that it was, it was going that way, but he could already see it going down that road as a guy who's done this for a while, written books on this stuff. And like, it was just funny. Cause now all I'm seeing is not like the good, the term good faith being thrown out all the time. Like this is not good faith negotiations. I think that's what Trevor May said verbatim. And I was like, Ron already told me this months ago. Like I already yeah. knew this. Yeah. No, that's why you go and get yourself a superstar like we have in Ron Cox. Yeah. Yeah. Just go find yourself a Ron Cox. Not easy. I, it, so I'm really, really excited to have him, you know, aboard and breaking this down for us because even for us, sometimes like we do the reading and still it's like, what is going on here? Yeah. Well, and you know what? If you don't have a Ron Cox, just use our Ron Cox. Like go to justbaseball.com and use our guy because we got the guy. You don't have to make the effort to go find a guy. You can just use our guy. Yeah, use our guy. There you go. Hey, there you go. Last aspect of this pod, I do want to spend about 10 minutes on this um, because I got down the rabbit hole of the post lockout resurgence in 95. Mm -hmm. Because the common thing is, you know, that that summer in 1998 where Sosa and McGuire were going back and forth with the home run title and then Cal Ripken breaking the Ironman streak in 95 just after the lockout were the, the main things that you know, dragged baseball back from the abyss of the lockout. Um, and I went fishing. I found a, a really good comprehensive article written by a guy named Kurt Badenhausen on Forbes in 2014. He did this dive seven years ago. 
So I didn't have to sit here and do that dive uh, today. So um, a lot of this comes from Kurt, um, but some of it is, you know, just kind of like peripherals, understanding the time of baseball. Um, this is the gist of how baseball got back and how long it took for baseball to get back from the repercussions of a lockout in 94, 95. Um, of course, 94 was the first cancellation of the World Series that came 90 years uh, into the event's existence. It was like the 90th World Series in history that was canceled. No World War had done that before. Um, and per game attendance in 95 was down 20%. So shows you that they lost some people because they couldn't get their head out of their ass. Uh, makes a lot of sense in 2022, right? Um, common perception was something like Cal's Iron Man streak, which culminated in 95. And like the, the long gone summer in 98 was the thing that, that brought it back, brought fans back to the ballpark. But Kurt points out the birth of MLB advanced media in 2000. That was one of the main drivers back to the sport. MLB Advanced Media was founded in 2000. It centralized everything baseball for digital distribution. MLB Advanced Media still exists. It still takes <laughs> all the highlights you see and pumps it out on social media channels, all that stuff. It is your one-stop shop. What is it I doing? Mean, they, they didn't want you doing that for a little bit in terms of like MLB's, which is the irony in all of this too, is MLB's cracked down on being able to distribute highlights that if, like as an account, right? If we wanted to do it from the just baseball media, Twitter, they've gotten better about it now. And they pulled back the reins a little bit, but, but they were horrible with that cracking down on one of the things that was one of their biggest strengths, which was, you know, being able to distribute all of that video. And, you know, now we're getting back to that. We still see some weird limitations on it, but I thought it was super ironic that they cracked down on that in the last 10 years and it severely hurt them marketing wise across social and, and other platforms. So then they let loose, like they took their foot off the brake a little bit. They, they opened up the floodgates in the two thousands when MLB advanced media came into play and it created this digital opportunity to spread baseball to the masses. Cause they realized that that was the new form of communication and it, it worked really well. And then they were like, okay, we got to limit it. Uh, let's funnel. So it's just MLB that's putting out MLB stuff. And that worked really terribly. Smart. That's really but, smart. Yeah, yeah, super smart. But it provided $800 million worth of revenue in 2014 for Major League Baseball, MLB Advanced Media. Um, money went into Major League Baseball from Major League Baseball post lockout. MLB.tv. MLB was the first mover to make out-of-market games accessible. You remember that? The MLB at bat app. That was like the first thing to make MLB information centralized for people when apps became a thing. Um, you can also look at media rights deals. You remember that 25-year, like $8 billion deal that the Dodgers signed with Time Warner Cable? Yeah, which was a disaster as well. Disaster. Nobody could watch the games. No it was one. Like on only like three TV plants. And, and the other funny thing that I don't think people realize, I think the contract's up very soon. But MLB makes a pretty penny to do a lot of the, the media for the NHL. Yeah. For the freaking NHL. And that's almost all goes to the owners and to, to the league. They literally do NHL network, NHL socials. Like they, they do it all. Like NHL contracts it out to MLB because MLB did such a good job with this, which is the hilarious part of it all, is that they actually killed this. And in true MLB fashion, did something great. And like, didn't utilize it well. It was almost like Mike Trout. 
and just just like we have this wonderful wonderful creation that's the best and let's find a way to fuck it up yeah no i'm I mean, dude, think about it. Like MLB TV, watching the Dodger game, if it was on local TV and you're sitting in New York, was available before NBA League Pass was available or Sunday Ticket was available. Everybody was copying Major League Baseball. And you're right. NHL Network is literally under the umbrella of MLB Network. And even now, MLB Network has a more, prof- has a more professional feel than like NBA TV. NBA TV totally. is still years behind what MLB Network is. TNT um, is better than uh, NBA TV. You know, like the TNT easy. basketball, is, it, that might be the best thing on television now. Oh, 100%. I mean, Shaq Ernie, the guys, Barkley, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's unbelievable. Ernie, Barkley, Shaq, yeah, and Ernie, Kenny Smith. I, yeah. Real quick, not to cut you off. If you could be one person in the, in, the, in the field, would you be Ernie? I feel like that would be up there for you um it would be up there you know another tnt guy brian anderson does some brian awesome Anderson's stuff right he's great. nba yeah he's amazing voice I, oh, of the yeah Brewers. you want to call games ernie doesn't really call games but in, in terms of he calls the postseason terms, on tbs occasionally see there you go but yeah I, I just thought about that and i was like i feel like that's your dream job sitting on a panel of barkley shack and um shoot who's the other guy uh kenny smith Kenny Smith, Kenny the Jet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, come on. That's a dream. It is the dream. Um, No, I dig Brian Anderson because it's like it's NBA regular season, voice of the Brewers, and then he also does the NCAA tournament for Turner. And and he also shares a name of a top 35 third baseman in baseball. Yeah, 35. Yeah. I mean, he's probably in like the 31 to 35 range, so not necessarily starter, but like for sure third corner infielder. Yeah, totally. Um, But, yeah, I mean, just getting back to that, like, Local local TV rights were king, and they still are a pretty big moneymaker. And then I, w- I want to talk about like the actual institution, just to wrap that up. If my count's right, 19 major league ballparks have opened since 1995, post-lockout. 19 yeah. ballparks. So like you can tell me that Cal Ripken and Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and Barry Bonds brought people back to baseball – and you can tell me that after this lockout, Shohei Otani and Fernando Tatis and Ronald Acuna and Bryce Harper and Mike Trout are going to bring people back to baseball. They're not going to bring people back to baseball. What Major League Baseball does for baseball is going to bring people back to baseball, whether that's build state-of-the-art stadiums like you see the NFL doing or it's eliminating the blackout on MLB TV so you can watch your favorite team wherever you are. The ball's in Major League Baseball's court to get fans back. And are they going to fumble the bag? I 100% guarantee they will. Just how bad? It's just how bad, right? Like, can we just keep, you know, baseball is doing some good things in terms of the numbers they've put up. Um, you know, they have momentum. And that's, that's the crazy part is, you know, you have a situation here where you saw what 94 did. Um, you saw some good things with baseball over the last year. A lot of local ratings were really strong. Um, people talk about attendance, but how are you going to set attendance in a pandemic? I don't give a shit about, about in-person attendance in a pandemic. Don't no, care. hell no. Um, but TV ratings were strong and also playoff ratings were good. World Series, tough to judge. It was a tough matchup. And I thought the numbers, they're better than you thought they'd be. Um, yeah. So, you know, I mean, they, they weren't horrible. Um, I, I just think when you, when you look at where baseball's at, it's not as bad as people like to paint it out to be. I think people paint it out to be so bad because they don't have faith in the league actually being able to you know, keep it from going in that direction if things start to go poorly. 
this is a situation here where they could uh, cause these issues to compound. Um, but it's also a situation where you could put this to bed and really keep doing what baseball has been doing, but, but in, in the right way and keep building on it, which is as we see social media and the way sports are being consumed, continue to evolve baseball can continue to be ahead of the curve here and just not fuck it up. Just don't fuck it up. I'm not saying I'm holding my breath for it, but like, there's a really cool opportunity here and I'd love to see baseball do it. Not to mention you have so much young talent in this game right now. And it's not like people say that all the time. I don't know if there's ever been this much young talent in baseball. No, never. We could probably go quantify it. Like accumulated war 25 years and younger uh, already in the league going into next year. I don't think we've ever seen anything like it. I I would almost bet my life that we haven't. No, we're in a, we're in a freaky spot because this is the generation where um, numbers and data and science grew up with these guys. So, you know, you look at baseball and you see like Tatis and Acuna and Soto and all these guys like, yes, really, really talented. Um, best young talent baseball I think has ever seen. When you look at the quarterback position in football, this is the best young quarterback group football has ever seen. From Mahomes to Josh Allen to Burrow to Justin Herbert to Lamar Jackson to Kyler Murray. When you look at young talent in the NBA. You forgot, you forgot Tua. Oh, I forgot Tua. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I also uh, forgot Justin Fields, too. I got to do that. I also forgot Kenny Pickett. My bad, Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett's next up. <laughs> I love Pickett. Um, I'm, I'm so, so on picket. I do like Malik Willis at a Liberty and Bailey Zappi out of Western Kentucky. That guy's oh, going to get an NFL start for sure. Single season QB uh, or touchdown record. Yeah. Broke yeah. Burrow's record. Yeah. Zappi he did that in Boca Raton. I was going to oh. go. The Boca Raton bowl was at 11 AM. I oh. wanted to go see history. I was like, yeah, I don't want to see history that bad. Yeah. I'm going to the Boca Raton bowl at 11 AM. If it was three. That? Yeah. Three, I was there. I was there. I'll go see <laughs> history. But 11? 11 a.m. History can wait. Nah, you got to get up at like 8:30. You got to shower. You know, you got to order a Western Kentucky jersey online and Correct. pick it up at the Amazon distribution center. Um, no, but I mean, like, you look at the quarterback position, and there's more young talent there than ever before in league history. And then you look at the NBA, and you got guys coming up like, you know, Giannis obviously is nowhere near 30. Zach Levine's nowhere near 30. Tyler Hero, your guy, nowhere near 30. Like, you're, I mean, you're naming like, like role players, too. Okay, but like, okay, Luka Doncic, Trey Young, John ja Morant's 21. Ja, yeah, Amelos, I've got a brain fart right now. 14. Anthony Edwards is 12. Like, yeah. these guys are all kids. Yeah, it, it's nuts. Um, and LeBron is still got 15 years in the tank. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is a really amazing spot. And like, we keep seeing athletes get better and better. Um, you know why this happens, though? Because we have poured time, energy, and money into sports. And this generation is one of the first to have tons and tons and tons of money backing them as they ascend to the top. And you've got people like Big League Advance helping them and shoving them six figures so they can use for personal trainers and dietitians when they come up through minor league baseball. Sports are in the best position they have ever been. MLB has been just handed a golden ticket and they literally ripped it up and said, damn, what'd you do to my ticket? Well, they didn't rip it yet. They didn't rip it yet. They're starting to rip close. it, man. We're They're like a quarter of the way there. down. It's, 
it's getting there. They're like teasing us with the flame below it. It's getting close. Uh, but you know, like spring training delay, I don't think the players care too much about. Again, no. it's it, it's the games. Um, you know, players are kind of just ramping up at their own pace here. I think they, you know, they care a little bit, but after the pandemic, and that was something Nestor said on the episode, he's like, yeah, it sucks. But after the pandemic, we kind of gained a little bit of confidence in that, you know, like we, we can ramp it up the way we need to, you know, if we want to, to create some soft tissue injuries, but I think they learn from it and they have, whatever, they have the confidence in that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's going to be a very, very, very interesting spot because, you know, I think if they can put this to bed, start spring training a little bit late, you know, I think people will forget kind of quickly that, it was so ugly and we'll be excited for the season. But the second the season gets delayed, I think that's where you start to lose the interest of fans because we so eagerly await opening day. We have that date marked on our calendar. We're looking forward to it. And that gets pushed back because of something that, you know, not only do you have no power over, but basically they're saying we don't want your money yet because we're debating of how much of your money we get that's where you start to really the fans internalize that understandably and that's where you get into a bad spot so hopefully they figure it out i don't think they need a mediator it's really up to them yeah whenever we talk about the lockout i do want to end with this question how many games are played in the 2022 mlb season 162 i'm 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 not budging i'm not yeah, I am. I have budged. I'll continue to budge. I say we're looking at like 140. 140. I would, it wouldn't I'm be a such thing. a negative Nancy, though. You are a negative Nancy. Yeah, you, you are. Um, I, I still think 162. And it's going to take a disastrous two more weeks for me to, to, to not see 162 coming. Uh, but am I getting a little bit more nervous? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, for one, just feel like the they and I, it's a stupid belief clearly that i just like to hope that they're not going to legitimately self-sabotage and throw themselves into the abyss yeah. but we'll see uh again that's i'm fully prepared to die on that hill and uh counting my days and enjoying each of them he's arm Layton. he's crafting his will for the uh the death that he will have on said hill I'm Jack McMullen. I clearly hate Christmas because I think we're going to play fewer than 162 games. Uh, follow us on social media at just baseball fans on TikTok and Instagram at just BB media on Twitter. He's at Aram Layton eight. I'm at Jack underscore McMullen 11 on Twitter. Peter Apple is back with me tomorrow to do a Red Sox GM episode. What do they need? Uh, An outfielder. They- they need to not start Jaron Duran and Jackie Bradley Jr. in the same outfield. I can tell you that much. Yeah, man. I could tell yeah. you that much. That outfield would be brutal. So we'll see. They got some stuff to figure out in that rotation. I don't know. They need another 38-year-old right-handed starter. They need more age. Yeah. More age and more lottery ticket old guys should yeah. work out great. And you know what? They need to – find a guy that can defend on the left side of the infield. I love those two bats together there, but I don't want to hear about the, the freaking FIP when you know, you have a horrid defensive infield. Like it's not a coincidence that the Red Sox had the highest BABIP in the league. Just all I want to say there when, when we're citing bad luck, it's not bad luck. When you opted into that bad luck, we will talk about that. Boom. He's Aram. I'm Jack. Pete and I will talk to you tomorrow.